This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Your love will never die. I am confident of this very thing from age to age, from age to age. Your love will never die, your love will never die. Your love will never die. Your love will never die. From age to age, from age to age. Your love will never die. Can we just respond to God wherever you are? I will talk to God, your father, this morning. Just talk to God. Please talk to God wherever you are. Please talk to God. Please talk to God wherever you are. Just talk to God. Respond to his love for you. His love for you will never die. His love for you will never die. His love for you will never die. He doesn't change. His heart doesn't change. His mind doesn't change. His love for you will never die. Never die. It will never die. His love will never die. His love will never die. His love will never die. You're a good, good father. To you are, to you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I, it's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. Who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am. One more time, come on. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. Father, thank you, Lord, because you're going to teach us about your love this morning. Thank you, Lord, because your, your spirit is doing a work in our hearts. Your spirit is doing a work in our hearts. And enable us to receive that love in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because your spirit is at work in our hearts to enable us to receive that love. Father, we worship you this morning. Jesus name we have prayed praise God hallelujah all right everybody have a have your seat please thank you for coming to church um, to those online thank you for joining church virtually I hope you had um, I hope the last week was good I hope you had a good time last week I hope you had a fulfilling time last week it's good to see all your faces hallelujah praise God I want to teach us something today called God, my Father. God, my Father. I want to say this after me. God is my Father. God is my Father. I sense so much that this teaching is going to resolve some issues for some people once and for all. I believe that this message is going to change you. It's going to change your life.
It's going to resolve some conflicts that you've been having so far. It's going to encourage you and to make you a better person than you were before. Praise God. I will together, church. The truth is, while praying and preparing for this service, and in my place of contemplation, I discovered that maybe this kind of message is the proper way to teach the faith message. Maybe teaching it like this is the proper way to teach the faith message. In my studies of church history, one of the things that I discovered was that there are a lot of doctrines that we teach today in a way, in a way more systematized format than the early church people taught it. You know, I'm beginning to think that maybe over-systematization is an error. Maybe over-systematization is an error. Maybe, of course, there's, there's a place for systematization, right? To teach and study and put your thoughts coherently concerning the doctrine of Christ. But it seems like there are some things that we over-systematize and that resulted in an error. By systematization, I mean to put your doctrine into system to outline it and say, what does the word of God say about this? And, you know, outline it in a very clear, academic manner. Do you understand that? Maybe there are some things that we should not over-systematize. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I studied, in my study of church history, I discovered that there were a lot of things that were not systematized until much later. And it's like as if you know, to systematize the doctrine only became, came, they usually came up as a result of a need, a need to answer some questions. This is what you will notice in if you church, notice, um, study church history. What you notice is that the believers believed what the apostles taught them. They used the words that the apostles taught them. And they put their, those words in their, they put those beliefs in their own words. They just flowed with those beliefs. Do you understand that? Over time, some people want to go into heresy and, you know, error. And the heresy, when, they, when it begins to come up, those, her those heretics want to take advantage of the use of some words to misdefine them. And then the church will have to come together and say, no, this is what the definition of the word should be. That's why systematization usually came up. Do you understand that? But now, there was a purity of hearts that followed before those systematizations. Because after you systematize to solve a doctrine, you create a new problem. And the new problem is that the words that you're now using now, there'll be now so much debate about how to use it and all that. On, so on Wednesday, we'll talk about the Council of Nicaea, and I'll talk about some things. Look at the doctrine of justification by faith. Do you know that the church never systematized it until Martin Luther came on board? All the while, the church just flowed with what the apostles taught. Just believe that we are saved by, by faith. Just flow. Just flow. But you know, Matilda came on board and said, okay, a lot of errors had come in and had to systematize and all that. But the reason why I'm saying that is this. Because God is so great. Because God is so mighty. God dwells in light that is unapproachable. It means that in the revelation of God to us in the scriptures and when God reveals himself to us through the scriptures, we will find some things that will be like paradoxes. What I mean by that is things that seem to be um, things that seem to oppose each other. But they don't really oppose each other because there's evidence for both of them. Do you understand that? So, oh God, I don't want to go to praise God. Hallelujah. 
let me say it like this. Let me just stop all that. Maybe Wednesday, Wednesday services for that kind of talk. Today is Sunday service, so let's just do normal. Praise God. Hallelujah. What I mean to say is, there are some things that are, there are some things about God that are better understood by the revelation of the Spirit. Not by systematization. This is what I mean. When you teach faith, and you teach faith in God, one of the things that I noticed, which actually over the last few weeks inspired me into this message, and that's why I believe so much that it will solve a lot of issues for you just as a salt for me and my wife. When you teach them faith message, and you try to use the, 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 the systems that the so-called, you know, our phobias, our ancestors in ministry, in Pentecostalism and otherwise, Protestantism, and even down far back to Catholicism, where you try to use the systems that they created, one of the things I noticed is that a lot of people will enter a conflict. And the conflict will be the conflict of God's sovereignty versus our own desires. There's a way you teach faith and you tell people there's power in the tongue. As you say it, you will have it. And um, whatever you pray, as long as you believe, you will have it. And people will be hearing that you can literally have anything you like. So God will do what you want, which is not correct. That's not faith. Faith is not to pray to God to do what you want. Any entity that you can pray to, to get them to do what you want, cannot be God Almighty. That is Obatala. You understand that? Once you say that, some people will now hear that what it means is that it is what God wants for you that you follow. No matter how it feels, no matter how it feels to you, because God is God, is what he wants for you that you follow. And then people now say, what's the point of praying? Why should I pray? Let me just do whatever God, whatever God wants to use me to do. He should do me to do. So why are we praying? Do you see that? Do you see what I mean by systematization can cause problem? There's something about the purity of revelation and understanding God's character that kind of supersedes these things and resolves all these tensions. And that's what I want to preach for you today. I want to preach faith. Christian faith. Praise God. God is my father. Say, God is my father. Let me show you something. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Genesis chapter 35. Can you open Genesis chapter 35? After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. 
but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. So God showed up to Jacob, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and introduced himself as El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Many people that don't understand um, the philosophy of religion and the context of um, history will not know how revolutionary this statement is. If you grew up in a church, um, Christian family, and you, know, you don't pay attention to all this stuff, you will not know how revolutionary this is. And this is how we know that Abraham must have received a revelation. Do you know why? An entity shows up to Abraham and tells him that contrary to all the beliefs that human beings had at the time, we're talking about 2,000 years before Jesus came, at the earliest, 2,000 years BC, Abraham, God shows up to him and tells him that, see, I am God Almighty. That means I am the, all, what we say Almighty? In English, you just think it's Almighty. But when, he, when Abraham, when a Jew is saying El Shaddai, it means I am the one God. There is no other God. I am the one God. I am Almighty, omniscient. I am the Almighty God. The only true monotheism. That kind of revelation is not one that human beings come to by themselves. It's not calculation. Because human beings' instinct is that when you look at the world, the normal human being, when you look at the world and you see different things happening, especially when you consider the fact that we came from hunter-gatherers to the agricultural revolution where our ancestors were first you know, hunting and gathering food before they now began to settle and begin to, began to build cities and began to do agriculture. Through all of, all of human history, what we find is that when human beings look into nature, they know that there is something bigger than them in nature. But the, the way they will reason it out, which is the logical way, is to reason it out that there are many entities because when you look around you and you see many human beings, you will not think that there's only one entity responsible for everything. You will say there are many entities. So when it comes to the creatures, the plants and this thing, something is responsible for it. When it comes to rain, something is responsible for it. When it comes to the sun and the moon, both of them are different and both of them look powerful. They are two different entities. So the instinct of human beings is to become pagans and to have many gods. I've heard so many um, people say things like, eh, but we have some other monotheistic religions. They are not monotheisms. They are what we describe as henotheism. That means some of them might actually believe in one supreme being, but they will also accept many small gods under. Do you understand that? So people talk about Hinduism, and they talk about Yoruba, African cultural religion, as well. They say that we, they believe in their almighty God, but they also believe in Obatala and uh, Shogu and all those other entities. That's not what happened here. What's this man heard was a voice telling him, I'm the only one. There is no other person like me. There is no other entity. This revelation was so strong that at this time, there was no even talk of Satan and demons. I get what I'm saying to you now. 
And the reason why God did this was very, very important. If God Almighty is going to speak to people, is going to begin to reveal himself to human beings, the first thing he does is to, you know, reveal himself for who he is and to separate and dispel any kind of counter-narrative about who God could be. No other person could have. This thing could not have been human concoction. This was a man that heard something. Or these were men that heard something. And God did it because he was starting a work. Humanity had drifted away from the knowledge of God. And God was doing something. He was bringing humanity back to himself. So, for humanity to come back to himself, to him, what he needed to do was, first of all, establish a relationship with humanity by which humanity can, you know, come back to him. But to establish a relationship with someone, you need to introduce yourself. They need to get to know you for who you are. So, God begins by revealing himself to one man called Abraham. And he chose this man because this man had a culture that he could trust the man for. This man was a man that would teach his children whatever he teaches them. Because the revelation that he was bringing to this man is a, is a, is a revelation that must spread to all the nations of the earth and to the end of time. You cannot go and reveal yourself to a man that does not teach his children because he, he will receive the revelation and die with it. But God wanted to do something. He wanted to communicate that information from generation to generation. So he said, I found a man, Abraham. I know that whatever I teach him, he will teach his children and his children's children. So God showed up and revealed himself to him as El Shaddai. And he taught his son Isaac. And Jacob also was taught the same. Church, all together. So God first shows up and reveals himself to El Shaddai, as El Shaddai. But you see, when he says um, El Shaddai, he's very broad. And is open to misinterpretation. Because you can say, I am El Shaddai. But the El Shaddai can do what he likes. So we began to see, over time, every time God begins to make a new covenant to people, he began to get more detailed about the nature of this El Shaddai. He began to explain more and put more picture for humanity. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. So when Abraham now met God, God added more color to the picture. God went into more detail so that he can understand better. Exodus chapter 6 from verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, How you, how you, sorry, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go because of my mighty hand. He will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Hallelujah. So, God now says, see, I'm going to add more color to the picture. They knew me as God Almighty, but now I will add another dimension. That dimension is that I am the Lord. And that I am the Lord is the communication was God beginning to communicate a picture of a new covenant that he was about to have with these people. And it is a covenant of the law of Moses that they were going to have on Mount Sinai. Why? Because God was beginning to communicate his value system to these people through the law of Moses. God was beginning to teach them and lay the foundation 
for what sin is and what judgment is and what atonement for sin is. But if you are going to teach someone about sin and judgment and atonement, you cannot be just God Almighty. You must now be the Lord. Do you understand that? Because when you go to court and lawyers are arguing for someone, what do they say? My Lord. So, you are now beginning to know that the almighty God is not just almighty God. He is also a judge. He has moral values. There is something called sin. There is called something called judgment. And there is something called atonement for sin. So, you must now know that the almighty God is not just an almighty God. That is somewhere and doing what he likes. No, there is something else. This almighty God is also a judge. He is the Lord. Do you guys get that? Kai, are you getting it? He is also the Lord. So, he, he laid that foundation for them to add to that knowledge, for them to understand. But then something now happened. After communicating that knowledge for a couple of thousands of years, a couple of hundreds of years, whereby these people now understood that the almighty God is also a just God. He's also a God that abhors sin. He's also a God that wants to have fellowship with us. After they now understood that, he now said, good, I was taking you somewhere. I was leading you somewhere. All these things were foundations and I'm building towards something. And what I am building towards, I wanted you to understand sin so that when you understand that there's a problem called sin, and I bring a solution to the problem of sin, you'll be able to receive it. Do you understand that? Because if someone comes and shows up and says, I want to be atonement for your sin, and you don't even believe in sin at all, what will you say to the person? What are you talking about? Like, what, atoning for what? What are you atoning for? What are, which sins are you saving me from? What is sin? Even if you understood sin and you don't understand what can constitute sin, you know that's another problem. Because it's possible for you to believe that killing somebody for their land is not really sin. It's survival of the fittest. Sure you know that. Sure you know. So it's not just a matter of teaching people what sin is. Telling people the kind of values that constitute sin was another thing. That's why the law of Moses was em embedded in it. The spirit in the law, if you go and read the law with the, with the entire spirit intended, you begin to see God's value systems. Values about loving the Lord your God. Say you know it was not Jesus that, that is the first person to say love the Lord your God with all your power and all your might. Do you know that? Do you people know that? Jesus was not the one that said it. He quoted Moses. By reading the law, you can see everything about God's values. About human worth, the intrinsic human worth about sexual fidelity, about honesty and integrity, about, you know, um, fidelity to God and not to other gods. All those things were in the law. So after God laid that foundation, he now said, you guys now understand that sin is a problem. You now understand that sin is my wahala. And I need a, you know, a solution to this problem. Then the solution to the problem now did what? Came on board. And his name was what? Jesus. And then this is what he did. Matthew chapter 6. And then when he came on board, he now began to add final color 
to that person of El Shaddai, he began to add more color for us to really understand. Look at what he now begins to say. He now shows up and now begins to say, so these guys have known God all the while as El Shaddai, Jehovah, Yahweh, the almighty God that is a judge. He's the king. He's the lawgiver. They've known God like that. And Jesus now come and say, see, there's another component to this that you have not really focused on. Now, to be, you need to understand something. That all the things that were being highlighted in the subsequent covenants, like when Moses came up and added something, and then Jesus now came and highlighted, let me not say added, highlighted, that's a better word to use. It's not as if those things were not part of the relationship before. What they were doing now was to highlight, was to illuminate, was to emphasize. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So it's not as if under the law of Moses, people did not enjoy the kind of relationship that the father and his son has. People like David, you see them calling God their father. You hear prophets calling God their father, even in the old, even before Jesus said it. You see the kind of relationship between Abraham and God is a, is, a, is a relationship that essentially it had the Lord factor inside. Because God will now say, carry your son and go and sacrifice. And say, yes sir. That's the Lord component. The trusting part of trusting his love for you was also in the component of, the, of Abraham and, God, and God's relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Please, if I lose you, can you just wave, wave, let me know. So it's not like as if the subsequent highlights that the prophets were bringing, that Moses brought and that Jesus brought, were not always part of the equation from the beginning. They were always part. But see, as the things, as the, you know, as the, as time was going on, you know, they began to highlight those things about the relationship of God the more. Church, I was together. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And so Jesus now came and now highlighted the final highlights that we must understand. Because the Bible says that the path of a just is like a shining light that shines brighter and brighter, even unto the words, the perfect day. So there is a perfect day. There is a perfect day. It's not, it's not an infinite shining bright. Do you understand that? In case you think that Jesus has said his own, I want to add my own to what Jesus has said. No. It's unto the words, perfect day. The perfect day has perfected already. So it's not like progressive Christianity. Jesus meant something, but it was going somewhere. So I'm the one that knows where Jesus was going to. <laughs> you don't know anything. Church, I'm together. Verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Keep it now. Oh, sorry, okay. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father. Just that. And pray to your father. Who is unseen, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus now begins to stress to us that God unseen is your Father. He is your heavenly Father. Look at verse 14. For if, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also what? Forgive you. Go to chapter 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, when your son asks for bread... Will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If then, if you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Hallelujah. Your Father in heaven will give you good gifts. He's not just El Shaddai. He's not just Jehovah. He's Abba. He's not just El Shaddai. He's not just Jehovah. He's Abba. He's Papa. He's Babami. He's Bami. He's Daddy. He's Dadim. He's Daddy. Hallelujah. Praise God. Church, I was together. Hallelujah. Oh, no, you guys are not with me. Praise God. Jesus comes and tells us that, see, God is your father. And then the apostles, obviously, they continue. That's why you cannot add to it. If the apostles did not add to it, who are you? Let me not go there. Praise God. Let's just stay on topic today. Hallelujah. The apostles continue in emphasis of what Jesus taught. God is our father. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Please open your Bibles and make sure you read along. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1 says, See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. What an honor, what a privilege that the unchangeable changer, the unmovable mover, the one that the only potentate, the, the only potentate, the only wise God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that dwells in lights that no man that can approach or will ever approach, the one who dwells outside of space time, will come down and say, You are my child. I give birth to you. Hallelujah. You are my child. I give birth to you. What an honor. What a privilege. Galatians chapter 3. In case you think is um, Apostle John that is very romantic. Let's look at an apostle that is not romantic. You know, you can think that look at the way John is always writing about love. So he was, he was being romantic when he said we are God's children. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26. 
so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Are we together? In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Look at chapter 4. Read from verse 4 down. The same book, chapter 4 from verse 4. But when the set time had, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our, our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Ah, so you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you, and say I am not a slave. Oh God, it feels like some people don't know yet. Say I am not a slave. He said, since you are his son, his spirit, the spirit of his son has been sent into your heart, crying out, Father, God is my father. God is my father. He is the kind of father that is better than what even natural fathers can be to their children. Jesus makes an interesting comparative. He says the love that you kind of have for your children if you compare it to the kind of love that God has for us on a scale, your own is evil compared to his own. He says, you being evil can give your children good things. How much father, your father in heaven? As a father now, I am not perfect. I can make mistakes. Sometimes I can get emotional and over-discipline. Sometimes I may not have patience I'm teaching you mathematics, but I don't feel you are getting it the way I want. I get impatient. Sometimes I can transfer the problem I'm having from work, bring it home, and you will run to me and say, Daddy, Daddy, welcome. And I say, I am imperfect. But even in my imperfection, if you touch my child, I always tell people one thing. It makes sense that Apostle Paul said that there are some temptations that God does not bring. Because he will not allow you to be tempted with something more than your power. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense that, in fact, our, our entire Christian walk is by the grace of God. Because God knows our weaknesses. He knows there are some things that we cannot overcome. So because of that, he will not allow them to come to us. It makes perfect sense, especially for me. Because personally, I, have, I know that there are some things that I cannot overcome. If you touch my child, I cannot overcome it. And that's why I know it will not happen to me. I'm, I'm not joking. There are some things that I try to imagine how my response would be. I, I, I know God will help me to grow in faith. Ah, I cannot. We enter trouser. <laughs> me and you, we enter trouser. The love of God will go define them like this. We'll not go see them. <laughs> You touch my child? You touch my wife? Ha! <laughs> Let's just leave it. 
Me being perfect, I cannot allow anything to touch my family. Me being imperfect. How much more a God that does not go to work and get emotional well is coming back? How much more a God that is actually long-suffering? How much more a God that is actually perfect, that does not get emotional, that, that does not get angry because you made a mistake? Men can forget their children. From the old, he already told them that a, a woman, can a woman forget her suckling child? He says it is even possible sometimes. Once in a while, you can hear that there's one crazy woman somewhere that forgot her suckling child. But he says, me. Because if he left it like that and says, can a woman forget her suckling child? Some of these scoffers will say, yes, she be some woman is to abandon their children. Say, even if it happens. Me, I can never forget you. See, you are the apple of my eye and I've engraved you in my palm. That is what it means to say God is your father. Say I'm not a slave. See that thing that our Muslim folks will say that they think is a sign of piety. It sounds like some kind of religious piety. It is not. It is not religious piety. There is nothing religious about it. I'm a slave of God. What's that? Anybody can call themselves a slave of God. See, you are no more slaves. We are sons. God is my father. That means that God gave birth to you. That means that God is responsible for you. That means that God is invested in your good. This is another part about being a father that cannot be measured to God's fatherhood. Even you as a father, you are limited in your understanding. You don't know everything that is good. You can make sincere mistakes. Sometimes you can do some things because you actually thought it was good. And those things will be wrong. Just what I'm saying to you. You can sincerely make mistakes towards your children because you thought what you were doing was best for them. We see it over and over. Depending on the kind of context that people grew up from. So people believe that using all this herbal concoction that can destroy the kidney is good for their children. So when the children fall sick, they'll be taking the children to those places where they're giving them herbal concoction and doing all kind of incision in their skin and they'll bring the child to the hospital and the child's the kidney has packed up and the liver has packed up. And you see them crying in the hospital crying, running out skelter. If you tell them at that point, remove your kidney for this child, they will say, don't use anesthesia. Do anything to save my child. But it was their mistake because they did not know what was better. How much more a father that knows all that is good? How much more a father that cannot make mistake? How much more a father that he himself is the good? Do you get a picture I'm painting to you here? Say, God is my father. father. He's the one that created you. He is the good. He knows what is good for you. He knows what you should be doing that will be better for you. When you understand this, you can now teach the faith message properly. What does that mean? When you are praying to God, when we have things, when we are in our entire fellowship with God, our entire fellowship with God must 
be based on a submission, based on a faith in God, that God's word is final, but that word that is final is the best thing for me. Can I say to you now? Hmm. This is the only way to reconcile God's sovereignty and your desires. If you don't understand the kind of relationship and love that we have, that God has towards us and that we should have towards God, there is no way you will teach faith that it will not dissolve into one kind of fatal determinism where God decides everything and therefore we should not pray. Or you find yourself going to the other era of New Age mysticism. Whatever we want is what God will do. The only way to teach it properly is based on an understanding of who God is to us. I get what I'm saying to you. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. When we say that, you know, when we are going through tough times and we are praying to God to get things to happen in our lives, the prayer is never based on it's because there's actually a kind of self-conceit and pride in when you are praying to God and demanding of God to do things the way you want. That's not God. And we can get excited and teach faith and use the examples out of context. I say in Mark chapter 11, God says that if you can say to this mountain, what if as long as you believe it, you will have it. But that is taken solely out of context. The teaching of Mark chapter 11, like I've taught you guys before, was based on the fact that Jesus had just spoken to a fig tree and the fig tree dried up. And the apostles asked him, wow, how did he do it? And he says, if you believe. So he was teaching them based on what he did to that fig tree. And what he did to that fig tree was by no means a kind of unilateral, single-handed flexing of muscles. That God just wanted to flex his muscles. And he saw that fig tree. And Jesus just said, I will show you ha, that I am the king of kings and the lord of lords. Nikwa Lakuti. The father has given judgment into my hands. Therefore, I can cause this fig tree. That's not what happened there. Like I taught you guys. What we see there is a fulfillment of what Jesus has been teaching from the beginning of his ministry. That any tree that does not bear fruit should be cut off. That any source that is not more useful should be thrown away. So Jesus was just practicing what he had been teaching. He was just practicing the will of God they had been teaching from the beginning. That when something is no more useful, when something is not fulfilling the purpose for which it was created, it should be what? Cut off. So when he saw that picture and he checked and there was no fruit, Jesus was not just flexing muscle. He was not just doing his own will. He was fulfilling the will of God. Do you understand that? Church, do you understand what I'm saying to you? So when he now says, speak to this mountain, he was not telling you because he, he could not have been telling you what he did not do. Do you, say, do you hear what I said now? He could not have been telling you to do what he himself did not do. When he caused that fig tree, he was not making a decision unilaterally. So why will he be telling you that you should speak to the mountain means you can just speak to any mountain you like and the mountain will move? He himself didn't do it. He says, as my father speaks, I hear, and so do I what? This Hyrophoenician woman is another very interesting story. The Bible tells us that this woman came to Jesus and said, Jesus, heal me. 
heal my, my child. And Jesus says, see, I'm not sent to dogs. Don't talk to me. And the man said, ah, even dogs used to eat food <laughs> from the table of the children. Just that said, who gets me? You got me. You got me. You got me. Take. <laughs> that scripture that is taken solely out of context. The first thing that people don't realize. To be fair, me too, I just realized this some weeks ago. I was reading the story again. The first thing. Jesus left Judea and went to where she was. In Syria. No, in um, Lebanon side. That's where Sidon and Tyre is. That's Lebanon. Jesus left Judea and went all the way. Jesus that said he's not preaching to anybody that is not Jew. He left Judea. He went where, where Jews were. And then he went to Tyre and Sidon. Go and read it. He went to Tyre and Sidon. That's where the woman met him. It's not as if the woman met him in Jerusalem. He went to where the woman was. The woman was here. Somebody that has never gone to Jerusalem before. You left where you were to go and meet the person. And you passed by the person. And the person is now asking you for something. You now say, I'm not hearing what you're saying. What, why did you leave your house? <laughs> why did you leave your house? We read that story like as if Jesus did not want to heal her. That lesson, that thing, that conversation was a lesson for us. It's not that that woman used one superior word to make Jesus do what she wants. Say, Jesus said, I don't talk to dogs. I'll say, I'll be catch you. Chess. <laughs> Evil children. Not say, ah, this guy don't catch me, Sha. Oh, yeah, take. So you caught Jesus. You can't catch Jesus. That's not what happened. Jesus had led, Jesus left Judea to go to Tyre and Sidon to heal that woman's child. Jesus left Jerusalem. Went all the way to another country. If you see the place on the map that Jesus went to to meet that woman, and that's the only time he went to that place. <laughs> Jesus is an interesting person. He went all the way to that place to heal that woman. So when that woman was saying that even dogs will eat and all that, it was a learning curve for us. It was an explanation of a demonstration of God. Do you think that Jesus did not know that even dogs eat of the food of the, of the crumbs? Was she the first Gentile that Jesus will heal? Jesus had been healing Roman Gentiles since the day his ministry started. Was she the first? Obviously not. Jesus was going to heal that woman. Jesus went to her country to heal her. That's how far Jesus goes. Jesus walks with leg from Jerusalem to Tyre and Sidon to heal one woman's daughter. <laughs> one woman that had faith, that believed in Jesus. And what did she believe in? She believed that Jesus is who he revealed himself as. Faith is not moving God. Faith is following God. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Church, are you getting what I'm saying to you? Faith is not to move God. Faith is to follow God. Mark chapter 6, popular scripture. They said Jesus went to a place in his hometown. And he, he came there to heal. And the people were not healed, save a few sick folks. And, you know, people just read that scripture and say, the, the reason why they were not healed is because they did not have faith in Jesus. 
you know, they, don't, they didn't have faith for healing. That's why they were not healed. But the story is more detailed than that. Jesus went there as a prophet. These guys did not even believe that he was a prophet. Jesus showed up as a prophet from God. These guys did not believe. They did not receive what Jesus had revealed. And so because of that, everything that Jesus had available for them, they could not do. So it's not like as if they didn't have faith to move Jesus to heal them. No. Jesus showed up willing to heal them, but they did not receive what Jesus had come to do. Do you understand the difference now? So faith is to receive Jesus. It's not to move Jesus. Faith is to align yourself with the will of God for you. Faith is to do the will of the Father. It's not to get God to do stuff like for you. But when you say that, imagine someone that does not understand God is your Father. When you say that, you know someone is hearing. Ah, then why are we praying? If everything is about what God wants, then let's just wait for what God wants to do in our lives. Let me show you some things. Then you begin to understand why. You begin to understand some things. The moment you forget that God is your father, whatever fellowship that you are going to have with God is going to be dysfunctional. And nothing in your Christian work will make sense. Do you know I just said now? The moment you forget that God is your father, your work with God will be dysfunctional. Nothing about your Christian work will make sense to you. Nothing about your Christian work will make sense to you. Let me show you something. Let's use two people that are worthy of emulation. That when we look at the scriptures as Christians, we should emulate them. The first person is Jesus the Lord himself. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the Christian faith. He said he fell on his face and said, My father, if it is your will, because I know there's nothing you cannot do, to take this pain I'm about to go through away from me, please do. Yet not my will, but your will be done. How do you get to a point where you can willingly submit your will to God and there will be no sense of offense, there is no anxiety, there is no fear in your heart? Because you can say, the will of God be done. Whatever God will do, be do. Whatever he wants to do is what he will do. 
but there will be offense in your heart. The fact that you have submitted does not mean that you are pleased. Do you know that? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? How do you get to this point? Where a man can submit himself, the answer is right there. It starts with saying, my father. Do you know why? Jesus has trusted in the love of his father for him. That if I pray for my father to give me something, he will give me. And if what I'm praying for is not good for me, whatever he will bring must be better than what I'm asking for. That's what it means when he says he's a good father. It means that he will only give you good gifts. Do you know it is possible for you to ask for things that are not good for you? Do you know that? Do you know that you can ask for things that are not good for you? Do you know that you can be asking for things based on how nice they feel but are not good for you? If your daughter says she wants chocolate tweaks in the morning, she wants berry blast in the afternoon, she wants ribena in the night, then followed by chocolates, followed by biscuits, followed by munchies, that that's what she wants to be eating from morning to night. Because you're a loving father, will you give it to her? Will you? The reason why Jesus could say this is because he had gotten to a point. Check John chapter 5. So that you can know the way Jesus was talking about his father. John chapter 5. Verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Verily and truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also what? Does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son. So when Jesus was praying about something, he says the father loves the son and shows him all that he will do. So when Jesus was going to pray to God, because he knew something painful was coming, he knew a suffering was coming, if it was possible, he, he would have loved to bypass it. He said, my father, because I know you love me, I know you love me, take this thing away. But even if I have to go through it, I agree. Because I know that whatever it is you are doing for me is because you love me. The assurance of a person's love is the only way that a person can submit without any resentment and completely. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Hi, this thing I just said now. You did not hear me. An assurance of a person's love is the only way that submission without resentment can be achieved. Submission without any bitterness in your heart can be achieved. Ha! That is the reason why God says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. 
Listen to me. There is no woman that has ever been angry with submission. The, re- the only thing that they can be angry with is the kind of person they are submitting to. Everybody wants a proof of love before they submit. Once you are sure that a person loves you, submitting to that person is easy. That is the reason why you see women that don't submit to their husbands, but submit to their pastor. Is the pastor not a man? Is the pastor not a man? Why? She trusts the pastor. She trusts that if he tells me to do something, he cannot tell me to do something because the thing will be detrimental to me. But she looks at the other and says, this stupid man. Why do you think some countries, the citizens are just naturally more law-abiding than others? When you have a country where people don't trust the government, they will not obey the laws. Imagine going to a country where they are collecting tax from you and the tax, they are blowing it, traveling around the world. They are squandering the tax. Won't you be looking for ways to evade tax? But imagine a country where you are paying your tax and you can see the tax in your body. They are giving you power. They are giving you light. There is security. Your children can play on the street at 11 p.m. in the night. Because if anything happens, there is police around. In that kind of country, won't you submit to the government? It's the same way. There is no human being that has a problem with submission. Not one. The problem is trusting the person you are submitting to. I get what I'm saying to you. In the same way, trusting God, ability to submit your life to God, is dependent on your ability to understand. Is dependent on your ability, your understanding of God's love for you. I'm coming, I'll tell you what it means in practice. Same thing with Apostle Paul. We read the story of 2 Corinthians, that's another example, that, the second example we should use. We read the story in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, of how that he prayed three times for the turn of flesh to be taken away from him. And God says, see, I'm not taking it away. I will give you grace to overcome it. And what was Apostle Paul's response? Not more prayer than God. Why won't you take it away? No. What's his response? I believe what you have said. If you have said your grace is, avail- is, is, is sufficient for me, then that grace is sufficient for me. So I will even boast in my weaknesses because your grace will overshadow my weaknesses. That is faith. Do you know why? Because it's the same person that will tell Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that I am persuaded of him unto whom I have committed everything, that he will fulfill it unto the last day. A man that knows God, a man that believes in God, is a man that can pray to God and say, not my will, but your will be done. Do you know what that means for you? That means that, see, it has solved all your prayer problems. Listen to me, if you're a child of God, there's none of your prayers that you have ever prayed that God did not answer. There's no prayer that you will ever pray that God will not answer. Are you getting what I'm saying to you? Are you getting what I'm saying to you? Let me tell you what you will find in your life. What you will find is that just like Jesus, the more you grow spiritually, the more renewed your mind is, the less conformed to the world that you are, and the more renewed your mind is in Christ, and the more God's value systems and your value systems are aligned. What you will find 
is that whenever you are asking for things, whenever you desire things, those things that you desire are the will of God for you. So it would be like as if I prayed for something and I got it. When you are a babe and you don't know anything and you want carnal things, you can't hear God. You don't know where God is leading you. You are praying for one thing. God is saying this is where you should be going. That's when you'll be praying for things. It's like as if those things are not coming. But guess what? If you are someone that is sincere, even in those times in your life, what you will find is that when God brings something, you will now look back and say, ah, thank God that that thing I wanted did not come to me. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? This is the answer. This faith thing is not deeper than that. Just know that God is your father. It's not deeper than that. Get to that point of conviction wherever you find yourself that see, God is in control of my life and God is planning something good for me. God is working out something. Even if I cannot feel it, I trust God in this time that he's doing something in my life. I love to tell people one story. I remember when I, when I finished medical school, there was a man that was a former commissioner of health for your state. He did connection, pulled strings for me, and he got the contacts of the director of medical services for the whole of your state for me to get a um, house job. So he said he had connected to the man and everything. And so one day, one morning, I was in my bedroom. I was sleeping. Not many of you have heard this story before. I was in my bedroom. I was sleeping early in the morning. Sleeping my head off around 10 a.m. Know that period in your life after medical school before house job when you are jobless and you don't really have him. Sleeping at 10 a.m. in my room in the morning and then my phone rang and I picked the call. Now let me put some context. When you finish medical school and you're looking for a house job, it will feel like as if that is the biggest problem in your life that you will ever have. <laughs> ah, Lord, open a way. Lord, I need this housemanship. Lord, open a way, let me get this house job. God, if you give me house job, I will give my first salary to you as first of all. <laughs> God, see my mates, they already finished one posting. I'm still at home. God, don't do this to me. Open the door for me. You say you will give me the desires of my heart. Lord, it is my will, it is your will that I go for house job. Lord, give me house job. And every day that is delaying, you'll be having all kinds of panic. An existential crisis. You start re- rethinking your Christianity. Abi, is God really faithful? Because he did not get out of job. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened to me. That night I was sleeping. So I wanted all your states because I wanted to start house job. I wanted all your states by force, by force, by force. Pray, 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 pray. Believers meeting. That's when you now start hearing all words, all the prophecy will be coming in your direction. You go for a believer's meeting, you hear, there's somebody here, there's somebody here. That thing you ask you for, you will get it. Say, ah, it's me, it's me, it's me. This week is my week. <laughs> oh. See me running from pillar to post, carrying letter. Go and meet this person, go and meet that person. Go and... Good afternoon, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, sir, my father said I should give you this. I said, okay, don't worry, I'll do something about it. Come in there, running from pillar to post because we want to ask you. That's why I was sleeping that morning. And my phone rang. And someone said, good morning, is this doctor... Odey Samuel Odeyinka. I said Odeyinka. No, this is not Samuel Odeyinka. I say, are you sure? I got this number from um, I got this number from a very reliable source. Is this? I said, who is speaking? He said, this is um, something something from Oyo State Government. I said, I'm not Odeyinka. I'm Samuel Odeyinka. I said, okay, okay, all right, thank you. Are you sure? I say, ah, because whatever, because the issue is because something is closing now. I say, I'm not Odeyinka. Ah, I say, okay, all right. And they caught the phone, and I went back to sleep. 
like 30 minutes later. <laughs> That's why you know that when you are sleeping, you are weak. <laughs> I don't know. Like, 30 minutes later, my brain, my subconscious was still processing that thing, even though my conscious mind was not processing it. 30 minutes later, I just jumped up and said, wait, what just happened now? I just got a call. They said, oh, Denyinka, was I crazy? I created that to call the number back. I said, sorry, when you were asking, it was actually Oyeyinka, so I'm the one, but I think you, he said, no, it's already too late, we've sent the names. I said, what happened? He said, we're compiling the names for the, those who are going to give housemanship. We've, we've, we've already compiled, when we're calling, it was the final moment, we're about to compile it and send. We've already sent it, it's already gone, so they'll be getting their letters very soon. I said, Mugbi Mudaro. Because I was sleeping, I was not thinking straight. <laughs> Ah, not I did. Without brushing, without saying, I wore my trousers. I was falling down. I was, running to the door. I was running to go and meet the person. So go and push. Excuse me, sir. I made a mistake. They just called me now. But I did not know it was me they were talking about. I made a mistake. In what they said, why just look at me? I said, yeah, you're a stupid boy. See what? I'll try my best, but I, I can't help you. I can't help you. Please just, please just, I'll do my best. Can Ah, daddy. I want to see that. My, I was thinking of my life. I said, God. What kind of thing is this? God have mercy. You can turn around the story. You that made Joshua to, for the son to stand still. You can do this for me. They can bring those names back. And they will put my... Okay. Some months after, I got housemanship somewhere else. That one, the way I even got it, I didn't even pray. It was supernatural. Someone was doing a favor to my uncle for a favor that he had done for him 20 years ago. I did not beg anybody. That one was so, was so smooth. They gave me apartments. They gave me everything. Guess what? The housemanship I got, it paid better than the other states. The other states, all of them that I went to do, include my friends, they did not pay them their salary. At the end of the one year, while me, I was balling, I used housemanship money, I got married the month after. <laughs> All my friends that the name went for your state, eh? They paid them, I think, only three or four months out of the whole year. All the money to today, the money has gone. <laughs> At the period where I was praying, it was like as if my life is over if God does not answer this prayer. Now, you know the funny thing? It does not mean that those that went to your state, they missed anything, no. I hope you know that God will have dealt with them in, in the best way for them. Many of my friends that went there now, they are all doing fine. In fact, all kinds of doors open to them from that or your state. My own path, what the Lord will do for me. See, there are some businesses that I did after the housemanship, continue business and all that, that I met the contacts in Abel Kuta where God ordered my steps into. I'm going to tell you something that should sink into your mind. You can never know better for yourself than God knows for you. Did you hear what I said to you now? You can never know what is good for you more than God knows. You must get to that point where you can pray, you can have desires and pray about it and say, Lord, this is what I want. But if there's any of these things that you have a better plan for, I am open to it. I guess what I'm saying to you. This is the kind of believer that prays if you are the believer that believes that God is meant to be giving you what you want, you will not pray until there's a problem. That's when you start running from pillar to post. You won't understand the meaning of um, praying for fellowship. You won't understand the meaning. If you are the one that has been taught faith, that faith is a way to get things from God, 
you will be the kind of believer that does not pray except there's night vigil for day of open doors or day of breakthrough. On the other hand, if you are the kind of believer that does not be, that believes that whatever God says, you will never pray for anything. You will just be leading your life subject to the entities. And guess what? There's a problem there. Ah, let me, if I explain, I will get to technical. Let me just stop. Do you know why? The man that understands that God is the Father, is his Father, is the one that contains in prayer. Is the one that stays in the place of prayer, fellowshipping with God. Have knowing the will of God for him, because at that point, when you know that God is your father, it will be more important for you to have revelation knowledge, to know the will of God for you, to understand God's word, than for you to pray for God to do what you like. Do you understand what I said to you now? Have you noticed that through the apostles' epistles, through Jesus, through Jesus' work, look at from the law and the prophets, through Jesus, through the apostles, did you notice that their prayer for God give me things was not much? Did you notice? Because when a man knows God, it will be more important for you, for you to hear God and know what God is saying, than for you to be telling God to do what you like. Do you understand that? It will be more important to you that God is no one distant entity doing whatever he likes, that you know his thoughts towards you. When you get to this point, you will see some strange things will start happening to you in your life, where you are just being yourself. Things you did not even think of will just come to your heart. It's time for you to start praying about this thing. It's time. It's time for you to start praying about this thing. If you don't understand this, all the scriptures on prayer will not make sense to you. When we say that be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, make a request known to God. Through prayer, thanksgiving and supplication, make a request, make a request known to God. And God and the peace of God will grant your heart and mind. When we say that, if you don't understand this, that scripture will be meaningless to you. The peace that, that guards your heart and mind is not that I've gotten my way. It is the confidence of knowing that God is in control. Church, I get what I'm saying. God is my father. God is my father. God is my father. God is my father. This understanding is the understanding that helped the apostles and all the Christians of old to bear through times of suffering with their faith intact. Because they knew that the Lord that is with them would never leave them nor forsake them. It is that believing in God. That's what I was telling some people some time ago that it sounded harsh. Faith is not believing that somebody died and will pray for the person and the person will come back to life. Faith is not that if we pray for somebody, the person must come back to life. That's what we made to think faith is. Faith is your ability to pray for the dead to rise again. That the red, the, ah, God, something ridiculous. But someone said, to, ah. Say the reason why you could not, the reason why you could not raise him to life is because you guys do not have enough faith. Say you know the person that said that is following logically from what he has been taught. He, he, he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He doesn't even know that what he was saying was stupid. He's just following what they've taught him in church. They've taught him that if you can believe for anything, you pray for it, you have it. And say, ah, ah, somebody died. We pray for the person, the person not come back to life. It's because your faith is not enough. That's not faith. Though. Do you know what faith is? Faith is believing in God. 
even if that person does not rise, that God has your best interest at heart. You see that first one? It's not faith in God. It's faith in yourself. If you pray for somebody, the dead, and the dead does not rise again, and because of that, you now stop believing in God, you never believed in God. You believed in yourself. Do you understand that? What you believed in is that you were able to use your will to move a supernatural entity to do your will. What you believed in is in yourself, not in God. Because if you believe in God, to believe that God is, is to believe that God will do that which is good. And he will do that which is right. And so even if it does not go your way, you still believe that he is. So if situations and circumstances around you change your faith in God, it means you never believed in God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? If your situation and circumstances makes you change your mind about God, it means you never believed in God. You believed in yourself. Because at the very least, if you believe in God, you must be open to the possibility that the things will not go the way you will not go your way, but the way God wants. And you know what I'm saying to you? That's what I told you guys. I'll explain to you. Have you ever heard, do you hear Muslims say things like, because somebody died, they stopped believing in God? Have you noticed there's Christians that say those kind of things? <laughs> Have you not noticed? You say, yeah, my mother died of cancer. Because of that, I don't believe in God. You hear that? Have you noticed there's Christians that say those kind of things? Muslims don't say it. Do you know why? Because from day one, they are told, is whatever God wants to do, he will do. Whatever God wants to do, is what what he will do. If somebody dies, it is what? It's God's will. So even when things are not going right, it's like a confirmation that God is. It's we that will think that because things are not going our way, then that means God does not exist. Can you see how perverted that is? Because something is not going the way I want, then that means God does not exist. Do you see that? That kind of thinking, obviously the person did not believe in God. Let me show you something. I'll round up with this. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart. When he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So, it's quoting from the old scriptures, from the Old Testament here, verse 7. He said, endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate nor true sons and daughters at all. So, the writer of Hebrews is telling us the entire principle that enables a Christian to endure hardship is based on the understanding that God is what? Your father. Anything other than that will make God seem like a wicked tyrant or to think of God like a genie in the bottle. The entire 
understanding of your ability to withstand something. That's how the Christians in China and all those places, that's how they are able to withstand all the hardship they are going through. The reason why they can withstand all that hardship is because they believe in God. They believe in God. That see, all the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming. God will balance this equation. God will take care of me. Even if I die in this pain, I know that God is going to wipe my tear and every sorrow in the afterlife. That's what it means to believe in God. That's why they are able to. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. So he says, see tough times. See those times when you're in supper. See all those periods when things don't seem to be going your way. See it as discipline. See it as God using it to strengthen you. Because this is the thing. Listen to me and listen to me very, very well. Listen to me so you can understand this scripture very well. This scripture is not saying, that's why it says in verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. It's not saying that every bad thing that happens to you, God is the one that brought it to teach you a lesson. That's, he, he didn't see anything like that there. What he's saying is that you should believe in God as your father, that God can use that hardship to make you better. This is what he meant, Romans chapter 5. Apostle Paul puts it in a way that is easy for people to understand, that you don't have to talk too much. Verse 5, chapter, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because... Hope does not put to shame when you are having sufferings. Why? Because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Why do we rejoice in suffering? Everything still boils down to your confidence in the love of God. So he says, see, those sufferings, God can use it to make you a better person. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, endure hardship as suffering. He's not saying that God brings sickness and God brings poverty to teach you a lesson. He said, no, those things are a function of the world that we live in. But if they happen to you by reason of your own negligence, so you know there's a offer. By reason of where you found yourself, by reason of the futility that is in the world, God can use those things to make you a better person. In his endless creativity, he's able to make all things work together for your good. So you are able to enjoy it. How can you endure suffering? You can enjoy it because you know that God is your father. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. It is because you know you, that God loves you that you can endure suffering. Church, are we together? There are two things in scripture that God brings to you for chastisement. That is, that are from him. One is the use of his word. He chastises by his word. His rod and his staff, they will do what? Comfort me. The rod of his word. He uses his word to correct and to chastise. The second thing that he does is that he withdraws platforms from people. Like we see, First Timothy chapter 3, he says, he, he that is a novice, that does not have ever, or a newborn believer, he says, do not bring them into the office of the bishop. So that they will not be puffed up with a kind of condemnation. So they will not be puffed up and enter the same condemnation that Satan entered. So, just like he told Judas also, when Judas messed up, he says, see, let, another, let his bishop prick, let another do what? Take. So, um, somebody messing up, somebody misbehaving, somebody having a bad corner of bad values, what God can do is to withdraw platforms and responsibility. 
from that person. She knows that's chastisement. Do you understand that? God can bench you. It's not that God will bring poverty to you. It means God can bench you from responsibilities, from being a pastor, from being a this, from being a that. God says, see, don't stand there for your own sake. Just come down, like he did for Saul. Come down. Let another person do it. All by his word. However, you see the wickedness of this world, the evil that is in this world, the needless that is in this world and all that, those things that come from you falling into temptation. You know, you can fall into temptation and God will still use it to teach you a lesson. It didn't come from God, but God can also use it. Whichever way, every kind of uncomfortable situation, the Bible tells us that the ability to bear it is based, look at the way, he said, look at the, way the writer of Hebrews says, he says, if your father does not chastise you, are you a son? If there's no chastisement, it means you're a bastard. So guess what? Those were the kind of scriptures that the believers of old were able to live under Diocletian in the third century, the third century Roman emperor where they would remove their eyes and pluck out their eyes. Where people were burnt at the stake. Where Nero would wrap people with oil cloth and impale them on sticks and use them as street lights for a party. Why were people able to believe those things? That they'll be dropped in the middle of the, the amphitheater. That people will be on, on their way to the amphitheater to be fed to lions and bears. And they'll still be writing letters to the churches to strengthen their faith. When you'll be in prison and they're telling that tomorrow they'll behead you. And you're writing letters and saying, count it all joy. What do you think makes a person do that? It is somebody that believes that God loves him. That is faith. You cannot be saying because you are looking for one job and you have been at home for six months, you have not gotten the job, or you don't have as much money as others. Say because of that, I don't believe in God again. What is wrong with you? You can't say that. You can't say because my, my friends are driving Jeep. I'm not driving Jeep yet. God has forsaken. What is wrong with you? Do you not know God? What do you think the, 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 um, the, the, the three Hebrew boys, what do you think they meant by what they said? Say, we will never bow down to you because our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we will still not bow down. Do you see that? Those are, those are people that believe in God. That's what I'm saying to you. See, from today, when you are praying, you pray with believing God. See, let your priority be revelation knowledge. Let your priority be understanding the will of God for you. Let your priority be the Holy Ghost doing a work in your heart so that you can think of yourself the way God thinks about you. When you do that, you start hearing yourself saying testimonies like Kenehegin and Bishop Rico says that I've never prayed for something that I want before. I've never prayed for money. God, that is a legitimate experience. Is a legitimate experience. Do you understand that? It is a legitimate experience. That experience where you are always doing or you are always you always find yourself where God will have you be. You will find out that the need to pray for money is not there because the money will come as you are doing what God will have you do. God is your father. Let your focus be doing the will of God for you. 
When you have needs and you sense it in your need, even if you're in self-doubt, as per this thing I want, is it the will of God for or not? You don't need to be in any kind of emotional crisis that, ah, Lord, I want a car, but it might not be the will of God. So because of that, you are, you are having double leg. Mm-mm. You don't need to waver. You don't need to be double-minded. Your mind should be single on something. And what is that thing? God loves me and he will do what is best for me. Do you understand that? Let your mind be single on that. You don't need to be saying, if God give me the car, if God not give me the car, um, will I get a job? Will I not get a job? That's mm-mm. Your mind should be single that God hears me. He will meet my needs. He will take care of me. When you do that, you will find God constantly surpassing your expectations. You'll be praying for a calmly. God will bring something else. Something better. God will open doors. God will do things that you yourself will know. That, ah, this thing, where I am, God is good. Should I get what I'm saying to you? That is what is important. God, your father. God is my father. Don't be double-minded. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. And this love is something that you have to keep alive. It's a love that you have to keep aglow in your heart. This understanding is the reason why you spend time in prayer. When you spend time in fellowship. Where you don't need someone to give you prayer points to pray. How many of you, if you have a, a, a good father... How many of you need someone to direct them on how to pray to their father or how to talk to their father? When you are talking to him, things come out, things flow. In the same way also, a man that understands the love of God is a man that is instant in prayer. Is a man that is zealous for prayer. Is a man that is zealous for worship. Is a man that can never have enough. The reason why you, many people cannot pray for long or stay long in God's presence is because for them, prayer is all about asking for things. But how many times can you ask for one thing? Even if your prayer request is 50 things, by the time you tick all of them, Lord, give my brother a car. Lord, give my mommy a this thing. Lord, give my this one a that. And you tick everything. What will you pray again? No, remain your prayer. Without looking around, looking at people. When you see people tarrying in prayer, it's not prayer of asking for things. It's something else. It's prayer of fellowshipping with God. You hear what I just said now? Are you sure you understood what I just said to you now? That's why you cannot pray for long. Because God is now your genie in the bottle. You have rubbed the lamp, rubbed the lamp, rubbed the lamp. Give me three wishes, give me three wishes, give me three wishes. Now come out. My son Joseph, tell me what you want, make a good draw for you. Say, Baba, I beg that job. Just give me that job. One. What else? Two. Just say, it go be. Until, until next time. Bye-bye. Go and do it. Next time you need him, you rub the bottle again for him to come out. <laughs> there are some of you listening to this. The moment you start praying to God and, you know, fellowshipping with God, your strong desire for jackpot will die. It's not everybody, but some people. You will start talking to God now. You will start having a fellowship with God. You will start praying to God now. And one of the things that will happen to you is that that your ginger of I must come out, I must jackpot, I must escape, will just die. You will see. Text me when it happens. You will see. You know what kills anxiety? Knowing the will of God for you. 
Not kills anxiety. Knowing the will of God for you. That's why it's children that are babies, three years old, three and a half years old. You say, Daddy, give me chocolate. Daddy, give me chocolate. I'm not giving chocolate. You've had enough today. Ah, wee, 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 wee. When you are older, imagine you are telling a grown-up person, you cannot have chocolate. You now start doing, wah, wah. What, what do you do? You just give it one or two slaps and sprinkle some physical assaults to co- correct the person. <laughs> Why will you be doing that in the same way? Many of the things that are giving you emotional angst, God, why have you not done this? It's just a testament of your, you don't know God. You're a child. You will just start talking to God now. You build yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You will build yourself. You will just notice that some of the mundane, silly things that were giving you psychological problem will just disappear. Hallelujah. Praise God. Have I gotten across to somebody this morning? Say, someone, say, say God is my father. He says, I am not a slave. I am not a slave. God is my father. He gives me good gifts. He surpasses my expectations. He does more for me than I could do for myself. He knows what is good for me. He strengthens my feeble knees. He strengthens my feeble arms. He will never leave me nor forsake me. His will for me is good. His thoughts for me are good. His thoughts for me will fulfill my purpose. So I will not be anxious. I will believe in God. I will trust in God. I will be assured in God. I will stay stable in God. I will have faith until the end. I will believe in God until the end. Hallelujah. Come on, don't bow down your head and let's just pray. Just pray. Respond to God this morning. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you. Thank you.